0: I've never bought into Nietzsche's notion about what doesn't kill you making you stronger. My experience has been that what doesn't kill you nearly kills you, beats the crap out of you, and leaves you bleeding by the side of the road. Take the last few months, for instance. If Nietzsche had been right, I'd be making Arnold Schwarzenegger look like Pee Wee Herman right about now. And it all started four long months ago. Four months ago when I killed a man shot him stone-cold, point-blank, more times than I can remember. It was a me-or-him situation, and there were other people involved. If I hadn't done what I did, the body count would have been even higher. As a result, I got dragged before the police, then the grand jury, and grilled like Elisha Cook Jr. sweating under a hot lamp. In the end, I was cut loose, justifiable homicide, self-defense. It didn't matter. I'd taken a life. There's a point-of-no-return concept involved here. Unlike virtually every other act of human existence, killing is irrevocable. The weight of it sat on me like a bad winter. All systems shut down. For months, I barely left my tiny attic apartment above Mrs. Hawkins' house in East Nashville. Phone calls went unreturned. When I bothered to go into my office, the mail, most of it junk, was piled up on the floor, like the makings of a good campfire. The days went by in a blur, an endless mire of sleep, sometimes sixteen or more hours a day, interspersed with moments of wakefulness that were so foggy and sleep-logged they seemed as if in a dream. I remember paperbacks, lots of paperbacks— Sometimes I'd wake up, still in my clothes, with piles of them scattered haphazardly across the rumpled bedsheets wadded up next to me, and jazz. The small clock radio by my bed stayed tuned to the all-jazz public radio station outside Nashville and played softly day and night, night and day. During a rare venture into the outside world, I managed to impregnate the woman with whom I'd been involved for several years. She had her own problems— this was her way of dealing with them. For a while, it seemed the prospect of parenthood in my forties would put the spark back, but it didn't. Ultimately, I had to come out of it. I thought I'd walk away from it, just chuck it all and start over. But that's easier said when you're twenty, or even thirty, than when you're in a staring contest with forty-five and you sense that forty-five ain't gonna blink first. In the end... It was the money, or lack of it, that drove me back to work. I'd borrowed a couple of grand from my parents, who were retired now in Hawaii, but I couldn't face going back to that well again. So I went back out in the world. It was just like starting over again, just like six years ago, when I first hung out my shingle as a private investigator. The couple of clients who fed me regular work... "'fraudulent workers' comp claims and the like "'had moved on to other people when I disappeared. "'The few calls I'd gotten through with my tiny ad in the yellow pages "'never called back when they couldn't find me. "'It didn't take long to realize that the hole I dug myself into "'was deeper than I first thought. "'Bills were piling up. "'My office rent was a month behind. "'The phone was going to be cut off "'if I didn't get a check off to Bell South in the next few days.' I sat in my office all morning that first Monday after my momentous decision, balancing the books, going through stacks of checklist mail piled next to the silent phone. As Mary Chapin Carpenter sang, the stars might lie, but the numbers never do, I took the coldest, hardest look I could, without any sense of panic or desperation, then took the only alternative left. I called Lonnie. I met Lonnie about a hundred years and another life ago, back when I was a newspaper man. This was when I was writing features for the newspaper, even before I got transferred to the state capitol beat. I was doing a piece for the living section on people who'd come to Nashville to make it big in country music and then been forced to take other jobs when the record companies didn't pile dump truck loads of money on their front porches. Lonnie had come to Music City from Brooklyn. I'd heard him sing. He should have stayed home. But you can't tell these people anything. They all think they're the next Winona or Shania or Clint or Garth or one of those other odd-sounding names. After a couple of years scraping by on Lower Broad, tending bar part-time and playing open mic nights...